welcome to my mini series on my favorite coaching books. I usually actually like to recommend books when I've just finished them and you're buzzing about it and you're raving and there's just so much fresh in your mind that you want to share. So this is a bit different because I've actually had to go back through my notes and my highlights and even some of my messages to people with that energy of enthusiasm at the time to kind of capture what it was that really stuck with me. But I think it's also going to be exciting because I get to tell you how these books have changed me after months and even years. So I hope that you enjoy this mini series that I'm trying out and also that you pick up some of these books because they've changed my life and I hope they can change yours for the better too. The book I'm talking about today is called 4,000 Weeks. Embrace Your Limits, Change Your Life, Make Your 4,000 Weeks Count. And it's by Oliver Berkman. This is the antidote. It is like the final book you will read on productivity. It's really, really good. I came across it from my writing coach, Laura Premack. Thank you, Laura, so much uh, for this book and many others and for your coaching on productivity. So Laura has a program called Productivity for Feminists, which was amazing. And a lot of our conclusions at the end of that class uh, was like, F productivity. And so I think, though, this book will still interest people who are into productivity, so don't get me wrong, but it was the first place that I saw someone actually kind of questioning like that the more you try to cram into your life and the more that you believe that you can quote unquote fit everything in, you then make more commitments and you question each of those commitments less so that your days become filled with activities that you don't value. So he does such a good job of helping you see that. He talks about the difference between clock time and deep time. So he says that actually hunters and gatherers, they were task oriented. They weren't anxious. They didn't put pressure on themselves to get everything done. Like a farmer's work is never done. It's infinite. You have to milk, you have to harvest and you can't race towards some hypothetical completion, right? Like you need to wait for the plants to grow and mature and produce fruit and ripen. You can't just spend more time and speed that up. So there is a natural rhythm that emerges organically from the tasks themselves. And I was talking to um, a very wonderful woman recently who's working with an indigenous group in Brazil, and she described this community still operating like that. I mean, yeah, that, that makes sense. But I, I found it hard to imagine as she was talking about it, like as a community today. So that is deep time. That's what Berkman calls deep time. But clock time is what most of us know, <laughs> myself included. Um, and that's where we plan compulsively, rather than confront how little control we actually have over the future. 
And uh, going back to my friend who's working with this indigenous group, she was saying she was visiting them for two weeks and there was a terrible flood and she was so anxious for them and she was trying to figure out how she could support them and contacting them and, you know, asking. And they were like, we're all fine. We're all safe. Like, we're not like they the way she asked them what they do on a average day and they said we don't have a routine we just wake up and kind of go with the flow of like what we want to do and what the weather is doing and what's going on around us and we respond to our circumstances like we don't really have a plan and again that just was mind-boggling to think about at a kind of 400 person scale I can kind of see a, a person learning to do that for themselves so much of what she said I was like oh this is what I've heard from coaching and so this is just um, an expression of that <clears throat> and actually Berkman points out that if we seek an individualistic mastery over time and we stop cooperating with others the goal is to control your schedule alone and doing whatever you want whenever you want and the more that you do that the more that you have individual sovereignty you achieve over your own time often the lonelier you get and I was trying to find it in the book I couldn't in my notes but he has this really crazy example of I think it was during the cold war that um to like keep factories running the Soviets like broke their weeks into actually like four day work weeks and then they put uh, people on shifts. So it was like, this is your work week and people. So it wasn't, you know, like Saturday and Sunday, everyone's off um, and people were sometimes in their own family broken into different work shifts. So they wouldn't even see their family on the weekends and people were miserable. And I remember this book really helped me see the value of having um yeah these collective holidays like sometimes I get so annoyed like say for the fourth of July um oh the traffic trying to go anywhere is just terrible but also like for other holidays I guess that's um like Christmas and New Year's I'm obviously showing um <laughs> that I am from the U.S. or live in the U.K. Um, but you know that everyone collectively pauses, like there's just such a sigh of relief, at least, um, over those holidays, I know, like, you're like, oh yes, there's no emails coming in. Everyone is stopped and paused. And my memories of, you know, the 4th of July are so vivid because it's this collective celebration. And so actually sometimes when we, again, keep moving towards clock time, productivity, your control, you're also losing out on community and connection which is a huge joy and part of life. So instead, Berkman invites us to face the facts that our life is finite. You can't cram everything in. You won't have time for everything. So stop beating yourself up about it. I actually love, he introduces this idea of the joy of missing out, JOMO, instead of FOMO. And I found that a really helpful one to repeat uh, to myself if I ever kind of, you know, sometimes when you're like invited out to a party, but you're just feeling too tired or, or something. And so you, you decide not to go, but then you're like, oh, no, you know, fear of missing out. What if they do something awesome and I'm not there? And you're just like, no, the joy of missing out, like I am choosing to 
stay in and read a book. I don't know what the choice was on those days. This is this is um, a couple of years ago now uh, that I remember really using it for that. And I read this sort of during the when there were still lockdowns for the pandemic. So there was also it was really helpful to like remind myself of the joy of missing out and just having a bit more time when maybe it wasn't it wasn't always clear if it was good to be seeing lots of people. <laughs> um, so the other things that he then starts to say is like, if you have a finite amount of time, then you really have to choose how you want to spend your time. So he really recommends that you settle in your relationships, in your job, like you make a choice and you recognize that it's going to be flawed and you only have so much time <laughs> again, to contribute to these things. And he also refers to some studies that show that like when people actually choose, especially in a relatively irreversible way, they're usually happier about the result. Like you will, you get to choose how you feel, right? Like, um, I've talked about this before on the podcast, but my husband and I like, and at a certain point we realized we wanted to live in Lancaster, England. It's near the lakes. That's where we both live now or like we're living <laughs> and I'd been wanting to move back to the U S and, you know, there's certain things like, cause I wanted to be closer to family or closer to mountains. But then, you know, we actually decided to settle. Like we recognized that nowhere's perfect and we're really happy here. And so the more we started to choose this place, like the more and more perfect it became for us and it might change. Sure. But we had spent a lot of time being in limbo. We had spent years debating like Scotland, UK, US, somewhere else, who knows? So actually choosing, so choosing what you want to spend your time on is really important and it then excludes all this stuff because you can't fit everything in and you don't have to feel bad about that. So he actually recommends as well that <laughs> The real measure of time management techniques is whether or not it helps you neglect the right things. So it's really about finding how to do less, how to drop the ball. Making sure that you spend time doing the things that you want to do and doing and starting to do them today because the only thing you really do have control over, we don't have control over the future. The main thing we have control over is what we might do today. So one thing that, or the final point I want to end on is that this book helped me see in some ways that I am just one small human. And I don't mean that in a way that is kind of unempowering, like, oh, what you do doesn't matter. And then that gives you a carte blank. I'm actually talking about climate change right now, right? Climate activism. Um, I think that's a bit defeatist, but he kind of just points out that like, you kind of, ma you matter. And then in the scheme of things with the number of people on this planet and, um, you know, how long back, you know, humans have lived here too, you don't matter. And it's better to spend your time contributing to the causes that you value in a way that you enjoy. So it's not about doing everything. It's about doing a few things well 
that align with your values. And so I just want to read this quote because I think it also helped me because he actually mentions climate change because I was getting a bit like, oh, a little lost in it at times. Like, what's the point of worrying about it at all? But it's on page 218 of the Kindle version of the book. Maybe it's worth spelling out that none of this is an argument against long-term endeavors like marriage or parenting, building organizations, or reforming political systems, and certainly not against tackling the climate crisis. These are among the things that matter most, but it's an argument that even those things can only ever matter now in each moment of the work involved, whether or not they've yet reached what the rest of the world defines as fruition, because now is all you ever get. I just liked this, that, you know, he says, recognize that you can't try to do it all. Actually, that the slowing down inconveniences, that gets you into deep time, right? Like, when you're just doing the dishes and the dishes take a certain amount of time, that goes back to the hunter-gatherer deep time. You just have to do the task. I love gardening for this, because essentially it's the same arguments I made at the very beginning. So he says, like, Value the things that can inconvenience you. Um, like, don't always go for what's always faster so you can fit more in. Like, let go of that fantasy. If you do check out this book, I would love to hear what you take away from it. I keep learning every time I share this book. And I've shared it with a lot of people. And so far, only heard really good things. I know this is a book that helped me put to rest some, like, existential worries about making my mark on the world or whatever. Um, so if you're in a bit of a funk like that, or if you've been obsessed with productivity books, this will be a good one for you. Enjoy. <laughs>